The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. Man, this feels like therapy. This. Fe- <laughs> <Am> I-, <laughs> I know. How do we start? But it's more complicated than therapy because it's unclear who's in charge. It's unclear who's the confessor and who's the question asker. Oh, I'm the question asker to you. You know what it's like to not have kids. I don't know what it's like to have kids. You are on the <laughs> other side of a threshold that I don't know if I'll ever get to. I mean, that's my, I cannot imagine you would have questions for me. Why don't we just start, Avery, by like uh, today, when you think about the question about whether you want to become a parent, what comes up? That is the mighty Anna Sale, host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money, and author of the new book, Let's Talk About Hard Things. And this week, on both Death, Sex, and Money and The Cut, we've each made different versions of this story, exploring the lucky, lucky, privileged decision about whether or not to have kids. Because there are environmental reasons not to have kids and financial and logistical reasons not to have kids, but I really wanted to talk with Anna about ambition. Because Anna and I have really similar jobs as podcast hosts, but she has two kids and manages to make creative work at the same time. Well, I am entirely on the fence. I truly have no idea if I want to have kids or not. Is there part of you, as someone who like self-identifies really deeply as an artist, is there part of you that worries that you will be a less interesting artist if all of a sudden you're an artist and a mom instead of just being an artist. (laughs) Oh my God, get your foot off my neck, Anna. Oh my God. (laughs) That's it. You got it. That's the, that, mm -hmm. that's totally the fear. I don't know if I have any right to identify as an artist, but yeah, like when I think about my models for motherhood, I think of like Yoko Ono and Vivian Westwood, and I don't Mm -hmm. think they were like the best moms because they were balancing a lot of other things. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, I worry that it might mean sort of uh, King Solomon style splitting the baby and not being very good at either art or motherhood, Hmm. you know, when you, when you, when you dilute the two. And so that's why it's so nice to talk to, to you about it. Because I I really wonder what this has done to the quality of your work or the kind of work you do since becoming a parent. Yeah. I wonder about that, too. It's like, what would it be like? Really? (laughs) Well, yeah. It's like, it's changed. The way I work has changed. And so, like, the work has changed. And I still think I'm, like, making stuff that I'm really, like, excited and interested in and proud of. But it's different. Um. I mean, I, the thing that you say about Yoko Ono and Vivian Westwood, it makes me also, I just want to, like, name it. Like, I do also think that, by and large, we don't think moms are hip. We think there's a certain, like, uh. there's, like, a flattening to it. Okay, you've just touched on one more, like, very core insecurity that I have around motherhood, which is kind of, I mean, I'm... I can't think of a more polite way to say it, so I'm just going to sound mean. I'm so sorry. But, like, the the, the sort of basicking yeah. that happens. Oh, yeah. And oh, I love that I verb. I feel like— Oh, it, my God, that's a really good verb. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you 
You are someone who has worked so hard to develop an acumen for what is new and what is interesting and what, you know, is missing from the conversation and needs to be said. And I know so many other brilliant, rigorous journalists who have become not only mothers, but just parents, you know, who who really held up an eye for a story. And then suddenly they're sharing, you know... <sighs> no, say... I want to hear your most mean self. I Just say it. Get the it out. Like, I just want to hear it. We know judgment-free <laughs> zone. I'm not taking it personally. Just say it. They're showing me pictures of their kids and, like, I don't care. And they send me, like, a picture of their kid, whatever, like, covered in food. That's actually kind of gross. Like, I don't actually care. Your Your vision... <laughs> of what is interesting gets so warped. Uh, so no, I just awful. keep it keep it coming. I love it. I wouldn't hear it like a fire hose. No, I just uh, <laughs> But do you know what I mean? I've spent so long curating, fine-tuning like what is interesting? What is interesting to other people? What is a good story? And then it all just seems to go right out the window. I mean, I think an important thing to know is like do you when you're around kids, are you, like, magnetized towards them or not? You know, that's an interesting thing. I loved kids. Like, that was my—I ma- was, like, a babysitter growing up. I, but I was, like, a kid along with them. Like, we would make Sundays, and I remember these two kids I would babysit. We would cover the entire road with sidewalk chalk, like, do these big, ambitious art projects and just make it an adventure and have— insane amounts of fun, like way too much fun. So I I do love kids a lot. And I think I also sometimes live my life for the adventure. I like having stories to tell of like wild late nights and weird encounters and, you know, stories heard secondhand at a bar. And I think I just treated kids like that, like one of those adventures. Mm -hmm. I sometimes wish I could be like a man in the 1950s, just like have some kids, understand the richness and the beauty of having a family, but like whatever, mostly moving on with my life. And um, I think that's the exact, that's like one end of the spectrum. And the other end of the spectrum is right, being like an excellent mother who has to do everything. And I, I can feel myself pulled towards both of those poles just wanting to slack off entirely or just like be the best most incredible nurturer and learn all these new sides of myself it irks me that I do not know this about myself it irks me to not know what I want in a big decision so honestly I feel a little embarrassed calling myself an artist because I think it's so easy in this economy to be like I'm a creative but whatever I mean I do I do see myself as an artist So I wanted to ask how an artist artist, like a visual artist, a painter, feels about parenthood. So I turned to my friend Julie Maritou. Julie is an abstract painter with a major retrospective right now at the Whitney Museum, which you should check out if you're in New York. And she has two sons, now ages 10 and 16. Okay, I'm going to start by telling you how absolutely mortified and embarrassed I am to be asking you about motherhood. Because it's such a, like, cliche thing to do to women. Well, I don't, why, why do you feel embarrassed to ask them? Because, you, you know, it's like, like, oh, you don't ask a man about, like, oh, what, how does fatherhood play into your work? We, we should, should though. Yeah. That's what we should. <laughs> when Julie's partner at the time got pregnant, 
Julie didn't have all my fears about, you know, like losing her edge or whatever. She was way less worried about continuing to be a good artist and more worried about becoming a good parent. I wasn't a birth mother, so that's a very different reality of being a birth mother. But I, you know, I was with these children from their conception. And so for me, my fear was, will I remember to feed them? Will I remember, like, how will I take care of this child? Like, how will I, how can I even do this? Like, such an enormous responsibility. I was more anxious about that than I was about being able to work. And I never worried about my work. I always I will always find a way to do that. And when their first son, Cade, was born, Julie found ways to work with him, literally alongside her, right there in the studio. Cade was next to me while I was painting. I mean, he was in the baby bjorn with me while I was painting. He was like on the floor. It was never going to be something that was, it was, there was a constant fluidity. Okay, well, part of that fluidity was that Julie lived in Berlin for two years around that time. And getting to be outside the U.S. was kind of key. Julie is originally from Ethiopia, and she is very aware that the sort of individualistic, less communal way of raising kids is super American, and that the world has other alternatives. We went to Berlin, and almost everybody had children, and all these artists had children, our family, and yet kids would like hang out together in the Spielplatz, and you could drink wine and eat oysters next door. So there's this <laughs> real kind of like um, fluidity to being like a parent and being able to really live your life in a very different way and let the kids kind of live their life on in this place of risk in, in, in a sense, which was really different than having children here. But it, th- those early years really changed how we could be parents as, and be adults at the same time. I mean, you make it all sound kind of like beautiful and wholesomely integrated with your life and your work and your practice. I mean, what did you have to give up as a parent? Well, yeah, um, smoking. <laughs> I don't know, like b- bad behavior <laughs> in front of them. I feel like so much of the mythos of the artist is like smoking and behaving badly. And um, I don't know, being kind of interesting in that way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I, I think like, are you? Do you have a lot of friends who are interesting now that they're mothers? Is that why I'm coming out? <laughs> I mean, I feel like most interesting adults I know, not all, because there's a lot that have chosen not to parent, but uh, most have had have had children. It's it's kind of like uh, what happens to most people, but. I always have to say, like having kids and have and and they they have been my biggest teachers. The exuberance with which they make and create. I went, I was watching Cade one time when he was like 18 months, just painting, and and it was such a, so instructive for me because I feel I was like, man, you're so uptight. Look at his the freedom with which he just approaches it. And you know, when he was four, I took him onto the mural, the painting that I have downtown, and he and 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 I had finished it in my studio in Berlin, and I was going to be working on it back here. But before we left, I took him to make some secret marks into the painting wherever he wanted, and he approached it so freely. And then I came back to, into the painting with actually trying to make after his marks because he had just exuberant freedom that the the kids make from and 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 they experience life from that place. So for me, there's this constant like, you know way of kind of interacting and learning from them. But I can tell you that the, the way that my children think about gender, think about the world, think about politics, think about race, think the, the way they think about the economy, capitalism, it's unbelievable. They are so radical and kind of rigorous as different ways of being. Like, and I felt like I was like pretty trying to be as, raise them as free and as openly as I can. But then, 
you know, these kids come up, they totally call us out for our, like the, the constraints on our imagination of what is free. I, don't, I feel like there's something about the way that people can have kids and find liberation as well is important. And so for me, like there's something about like talking to people about it because no one ever talked to us about me about it in that way. Are you thinking about having kids or not thinking about having kids? <laughs> well, the time is, you know, as you said, like clock, the clock I, I got to make a decision. Yeah. And <laughs> with if I do or if I don't, it's going to ch- like affect my life tremendously. And either choice is a choice. I think kids are like, you know, whether you have them or what, it's about this kind of like nurturing of something else, right? Your primary place shifts. Your primary relationship to yourself shifts. And that happens, I think, in a way in meditation too, or when you're in this really deep creative flow, right? You're like, you're lost in this other way of engaging. And I think like parenting is very much like that. And, you know, again, I realize that I'm speaking from an immense privilege to be able to really consider parenting. You're nervous. You want children, Avery. Oh, but I've... <laughs> but, you, but you really don't. <laughs> I do and I don't. But if a brilliant, talented artist like Julie Maritou can find creativity and inspiration and even liberation in parenthood, then what should I be so afraid of? But then again, a lot of Julie's models for parenthood were formed outside the U.S. And I don't know if I live in a country where parents can also be autonomous adults. Although Anna Sale has made it work for her. But when is it not worth it? After the break, Anna and I speak with someone who has proudly decided not to have children. What's so strange is that I always thought of myself as a person who, for whom work uh, and my work identity and work achievement and, and ambition was very integral, and it still is. Yeah. I, that's never been a question. Again, Anna Sale, host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money. I also always knew that I wanted to, to be a mom, to have a kid. How did you know? How did you always know? I just, I, like, it's so, um, I can remember having this conversation with, with some other journalists who did not know whether they wanted to become parents. And all I could, like, that, that was the question, like, how do you know? What do you, what's the feeling? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the knowing? And it was like, to me, I just like put my arms in like a little cradle and was like, I don't know, but I just know. And I like cradled my arms back and forth. Like that this is something that I want to do. Like I want to hold my child. Mm. I wish I had the sort of certainty of that desire. I guess that's like, it leads to this more existential question of like, is it more painful to know exactly what you want? Or is it more painful to not know anything and just be adrift? Yeah. I mean, this is going to make me sound like an absolute maniac. But I guess... This shows you where my priorities are now. Like, what was the... Do you remember the first time that it that being a parent really ate into your ambition? Where you were like, I would like to do this meaty story or interview, but I can't right now because I have a, a baby to raise. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I... For me, it was like, oh, 
travel is not travel is not something I want to do. Or if I do have to do it, right. I need to be really strategic about how many nights I'm away, what it's for, and be really clear what I'm going to get out of the time away because it has a cost. Right. I have a job that, like, I've been able to, like, make flexible so that I haven't, don't feel like I've had to um, give up my identity as a professional person and as a working person or as a creative person. I still feel like I have that part of me. I, and I feel like becoming a mom has just, like, it's as if a whole other side of my body has been, like, I picture, like, it blowing up with muscles that I didn't know I could have, which is, like, how to soothe, how to um, teach, how to comfort, how to, like, how to argue with a kid and get really emotional and then come back around so you both, like, <laughs> apologize when you get frustrated. Like, there's just parts of me that I feel are so much more um, full it is so abundantly clear that having kids would make you grow and develop in new ways. But do those new sides of you grow over other sides of you? What's the exchange here? So Anna and I wanted to talk to the comedian Margaret Cho because Margaret is so candid about her life and her experience from her strict Korean parents to her queerness and her sex life to the fact that at age 52, she doesn't have kids. And she's honestly gone back and forth about wanting to be a mother. Every time I've been pregnant, which is three, three, three times, yeah. Three times I've been pregnant, I've definitely thought, I gotta get, get out of this. I can't do this. But did that change at some point? At one point, weren't you trying to have a kid? At, at some point, I was trying, like, later on. But maybe it was almost this kind of thing of, like, Last, the last cry of the hormone, <laughs> the hormonal, mm. the the final hormonal scream. It was like a primal scream of like, last call. It was last call for not alcohol, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard for Margaret not to consider giving parenthood a try. As a kid, she was always told that when you grow up, you'll have kids and that's the way it works. The future is inevitable that you're going to have a kid or do PCP. This is the like 70s. So um, I think that there was this expectation that that was going to happen. I mean, how did that interact with your career as you were growing up? How did your mentality change or not change? Well, a lot of female comedians have children. And um, it's like, it's not a big deal. And like a lot of female musicians I know have children and it's not a big deal. Like, Courtney Love set a, a pretty good example of that, I think. Of like, or um, just a lot of like rock stars I would see at like music festivals with babies with headphones on to protect their hearing. Right. Which I was like, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Like your kid can just be part of your journey. Like in New York City, like parties that I would go to in the early 2000s, the ultimate accessory was a 12-year-old girl in like a jean jacket who acted like a little adult. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, by that mindset, were you like, I got to get me one of those? Like, how did that make you kind feel? Kind of. Yeah? It was kind of like, well, yeah, of course. Like in the early 2000s, uh, like you wanted to be arguing with your rock star ex-husband 
about custody while you're leaving Pilates in your juicy couture cashmere tracksuit <laughs> and Uggs. <laughs> so that was sort of like the dream. The dream is so intricate and planned down to the last detail. Why didn't it happen? <laughs> I think because, um, I, I don't know, I always avoided Pilates. I always avoided motherhood. And marriage, I was I was married for 12 years, but... Um, Why did you avoid motherhood? Because I think I didn't want to love anybody more than I loved anything or loved my career or loved any, any, I, I was just so afraid of the, um, expansion of my heart. To me, that seemed unbearable, even though I know that with that brings a lot of joy and an escalation of celebration of life. It, to me, was too, um, too much responsibility and too much, um, of the unknown. I would rather control the capacity of my loving, which is like, now it's like in a safe place, like now it's in a contained place. Now I can really kind of examine it and enjoy it. But I think that for that, parenting isn't for me. Of course, I have a lot of animals. <laughs> and that's fine. This is Lucia Caterina. Margaret, have you, have you ever identified as a parent? Has there been a phase in your life when you thought of yourself as a parent? Um... I guess in a sense, like I have like drag daughters, like drag, I have like a, the house of Cho. So I have a lot of like comedian children and like a lot of gay children and a lot of gay Asian children. And like whenever I see younger Asian American comedians, I'm like, oh, those are my children. That's like, definitely, yes, I'm a parent to that. So I have a whole dynasty of Asian American comedian, gay children, and then also all of my animals. <laughs> so yes, but that's not the same, you know, it's very different, but it's, it is very much apparent in that way. I mean, there's some ways it's the same. I, I think about, um, there's a quote years ago, I talked to the actor Ellen Burstyn and she adopted her son and she talked about how the act of mothering made her a mother. Mm that the verb makes you the noun. And I, I think about that a lot. Yeah, I think that's right. To me, um, if I was in my 20s, the idea of being alone in my 50s was the most terrifying prospect. But now I'm 52 and I'm alone and I'm the happiest I've ever been. So I realized that that was social conditioning in my 20s, being worried about being a middle-aged to older woman on my own when I realize I'm so much better off than I've ever been. I'm, I'm good. It's like that, like it's putting your hand over your glass of like life, like I'm good. So Avery, have you decided? No, are you kidding me? Of course not. <laughs> but this was really fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anna Sale's new book, Let's Talk About Hard Things is a raw, honest, deeply practical guide through confronting the elements of our life we are most frightened to look at, even beyond death, sex, and money. If you want help puzzling through how to talk to someone who's mourning or how to go about talking through a breakup, 
or how to talk about finances with a friend who has a different amount of money than you. Seriously, buy it. It's a book for the ages. Let's talk about hard things. This episode was made in collaboration with Death, Sex, and Money. It was produced by Yasmin Khan, with help from Katie Bishop, Afi Yellow Duke, Andrew Dunn, and Anna Sale. The cut is B.A. Parker, Jasmine Aguilera, Kelly Prime, and me, with executive producers Hannah Rosen, Nishat Kurwa, and Stella Bugby. Mixed by Alex Higgins. The Cut is a production of New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support all their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Avery Truffleman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.